Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, joined here in the Daytona International Speedway infield by Jeff Gordon, Fox Sports analyst and occasional podcast listener, <laughs> who just learned I'm good as a host, but I'm not quite as good as a sound engineer. Yeah, so I, 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 I did find that out, uh, but that's all right. We, we, we got it. We got it going now. And uh, no, it's, it's seriously uh honored to be on. I, I love your perspective on the sport. Uh, I also like you know, a lot of the the guests that you have on your podcast, so I'm honored to be a part of it. All right, well, appreciate you being here, and since I just embarrassed myself by forgetting to turn on your mic, (laughs) I'm naturally going to return the favor and ask you about an embarrassing moment. Oh, great, Recently, on Twitter, I've got to ask about the drive you made down to Daytona where apparently you aggrieved a fellow yes. uh, person on the highway and, and got a nice gesture about that. T- t- tell me the backstory of that. Yeah, I was actually coming from Orlando. I flew down to Orlando, and then I was driving from Orlando, and any of you have ever done that, you know, you get on I-4, and I was just cruising along, not, not doing anything wild and crazy. I just uh, was making my way to Daytona, beautiful day, and... I was in the, the fast lane, and there just happened to be a truck in front of me uh, that was taking his time to move over to the slow lane as I was going by. And I think I had the cruise set, and so <laughs> I didn't really want to get on the brakes and turn the cruise off, so I just kept going. And I got a little bit closer to the to the truck than, uh, than I anticipated, but certainly much closer than what he anticipated. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I, I saw that... I thought, oh, okay, I'm pushing the issue here a little bit. No big deal. It's not like I was being reckless. I just called it slightly aggressive. Okay. And all of a sudden, <laughs> his arm comes out the window and gives me the finger. And, and I, I had to chuckle. I just kind of waved back and smiled and laughed. And he didn't give it a second look. I, I don't think he had any clue you know, who I was. And so I just kept on going. And then I got to Daytona. And, and so from that point, that time by the time i got to daytona i just started laughing and go you know i'm going to tweet about this because i just thought that was kind of funny and and if i could have said something to the gentleman what would i have said because he was totally in the right and i was in the wrong uh and so turned into something fun that uh, and you know the, those are the kinds of things that, that pop into your head every once in a while and you want to put them down on on uh on paper or in this case on social media and i did and uh i'm glad the fans enjoyed it so does this happen often with jeff gordon driving no. passenger vehicles no okay no, this is rare never Perfect. my if you talk to my wife about my driving she would say Oh my gosh, you're the slowest driver. You know, <laughs> you. I mean, she probably would say, "Yeah, I ride a little bit too close sometimes to the car in front of me." I guess it's just 
have it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but other than that, no, I, I I'm pretty calm, you know. And 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 if anything, the opposite from from a driver standpoint okay. uh, on the on the road. Well, in the unlikely event he is listening or following again, yeah, thank I'm you. sure he accepted your thank apology. you for telling me I was number one. <laughs> So you were also, Jeff, uh, on Sirius XM last week. I don't know if people have heard this as well, but on there with Kevin Harvick on his show. Yeah. And the discussion came up about the race at Texas a, a few years ago mm. with Brad Keselowski. And I was fascinated to like hear you guys reflect on it, first of all, because it's funny how you get maybe the fuller picture when everybody's three years removed from it. Definitely. Um, and the other thing I was struck by was, and I wanted to ask you about this, Obviously, you go back and look at the replay, and you think, well, maybe Kez actually had a point. With some of your anger, looking back at it, the fact that you knew that that might be the last best chance to win a championship, knowing that the next year you were stepping out of the car, I don't know if you were uh, along that decision process yet or not. I mean, at the moment, you're not thinking about that that far ahead. I, yeah. I was thinking about that I, I, I had a shot at winning that race. I was a little frustrated that the caution came out yeah. a couple of times uh, I, I won't even throw Boyer under, you know, <laughs> in, into this discussion. Um, but, uh, no, I was more just frustrated that not only do we, we not win the race, but also that, that that move cut my tire down and cost me a lot of points, which yeah. then inevitably, because we did what we needed to do at, uh, at Phoenix. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, we didn't win, but we finished second. And, and still didn't make it to Homestead. So, uh, but when I look back and, and analyze it, I didn't get the best restart. There's no doubt about that. I, you know, I, I, I spun the tires a little bit. Um, and, and I can't blame Brad for, for you know, being aggressive the way he did. He was trying to win the race too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was more of that, I just wasn't happy that, that it basically took me out of the race. Afterwards on pit road, because I was angry about that, I just wanted to have a discussion with him, you know, and, and at least give, you know, tell him my displeasure and what I didn't like about it. Mm-hmm. And we could debate it. But the problem was he had, he wouldn't even look at me. And, you know, if, if you're, if you're in an argument or you're, you're upset with somebody and they won't even look at you, that just fires you up even more. Right. And, and obviously Kevin was in the background watching this happening, <laughs> and there were some big pit crew guys that weren't allowing me to get through to, to have a discussion. There, there were no intentions for that to turn into what it turned into. Right. Um, I actually think, had those guys not been there uh, trying to keep me back, and I could have gone up and talked to them, it just would have been a heated conversation. Are those moments you think we need more of in NASCAR? I, especially now being on the Fox side and the broadcast side, I realize how important it is for there to be passion and and the rawness of emotion uh, whether it be negative or positive Mm -hmm. that it's an important aspect of of the sport because that's what draws people in that's what connects people to that person and it could be you know the way that they they handle themselves in that situation or it could be the way that they you know get excited when they win Right. Whatever it may be, that's what people, that's what fans, beca- how and why they become fans of a driver, because that reminds them of either themselves or reminds them of somebody they'd like to be friends with and hang out with. Yeah. And, and, or, or as maybe they compete in something and they go, yeah, if that were me, this is how I would feel about it. But when somebody 
doesn't show any of that or you know they're too afraid to to maybe be criticized because of the way they handle something i think we all lose and i guess it puts the drivers in sort of a really awkward spot when they have to kind of be put in places where they have to behave badly for everybody to sort of like be invested in the emotion and the passion i guess right yeah i, I mean you look at chase Elliott and denny hamlin last year at martinsville uh, i think that was one of the greatest moments of the year last year yeah uh because you got to see a rising superstar in the sport uh, you know, kind of go head to head with a veteran and show that emotion and, and show, you know, how devastating that was. And, and I think that with Chase, he's very reserved and you don't see a lot of that. Uh, Denny's kind of been through some of those before. Um, and it was just good. It was a good interaction that I think drew, actually, I think Chase Elliott and yeah. a lot of fans yeah. because yeah. that. Consensus most popular driver for 2018 right now, I think, in large part maybe because of that. We heard a lot of that on Media Day I yesterday. I would certainly think he's uh, <laughs> towards the top of the list, if not at the top. Definitely in the running. And, you and s- Denny dropped a couple. <laughs> <laughs> you might never have won the most popular driver award, but you certainly had your legions of fans. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but today, somewhere on the grounds of Daytona, the Hall of Fame committee is meeting Oh, is that today? Yes, to determine the uh, nominees for May. Mm. I'm a voter, so that's why I'm sort of aware of this. We'll be voting on next year's Hold on, if you're here, then... (laughs) You're on my ballot. (laughs) You you got other people to worry about lobbying (laughs) than me. um, So obviously you're unaware of this. Has it started to sink in, though, a little bit? Because I know you were part of Ray Everham's induction last month, and uh, that could be you on that stage next January. Yeah, I mean, the last couple of years, you know, with Rick Hendrick going in and being a part of that induction, and then this year with Ray, certainly uh, makes me more aware that I'm on the ballot and, and that, uh, you know, there's a good chance that that could happen. And I, I don't know how I feel about it because I feel like I'm not ready, you know. Really? I, but yeah, because while I'd be honored to be a first ballot, you know, inductee, at the same time, I feel like first there's plenty of people that that are very worthy of that of going in and and deserving uh and i don't know i just feel young you know i feel like hall of fame is for you know when you can i I don't know if i I can fully appreciate the magnitude of what that means for me in my career at this time and i want to i want to fully because i experienced that with ray you know and i experienced that with rick and and i love that aspect of it it and and you know i i we'll see you know let's wait and see what happens and and then um one thing's for sure you get plenty of time to to think about what your career's meant right the people that influenced it played a big part of it the journey all this and i i kind of went through this when i did my book a couple years ago which was fun and exciting and emotional and and brought back a lot of uh, a lot of great memories so um, you know, I think that's what going into the Hall of Fame does. And I, and I saw that, especially through Ray, because how our, our journeys were, were so tied together. Yeah, and you were a big part of his speech. I mean, he really singled you out as a, a huge part of his career. I'll be honest. I'm glad I wasn't standing on that stage when, that, <laughs> when he was saying that. I was a, I was a mess. Back. And, and that, that's my you know, biggest thing about moments, whether it be a championship uh, speech or whether it be uh, you know, my final year. Uh, up on the stage in, in Vegas that I, I just 
when I start reliving how special my career has been and, and, and what this has been like for me, I get a very, I get a str- extremely emotional, and it's no secret. So <laughs> I guess um, we're going to be yeah, disappointed I, if there aren't tears. I, oh, <laughs> gosh. I don't even want to think about that. Well, I won't remind you of anything else about it then. <laughs> Aside the, to point out that I think you're a cinch. There's never been a unanimous selection yet to the NASCAR Hall of Fame, but I suspect you could be the first. So no pressure. Thanks. Um, speaking of looking back and on things sort of coming together and happening in your career, Jeff, we had Andy Graves on this podcast late last year, and he told some great stories about you. And I just wanted to get your perspective on some of his stories. First would be that how you guys met, I guess you were randomly paired like at a race in Sandusky, Ohio, where he was consulting and he just kind of got put with you and it kind of clicked. It's kind of a blur of the things that were going on during those times. I remember hearing his name. Uh, I remember him coming to Indiana and and being a, uh, you know, a, a part of, so you had Bobby's who was building the beast midgets and, and silver crown cars and some sprint cars and and so the, I only raced at Sandusky one time so if that was the time when we initially met um, you know then, then that was a, a, I think a wing sprint car paved wing sprint car race which we won but but somehow that connection led to a lot more uh, interaction with him and and him working for for my stepdad and, and our sprint car team and then me going up to New York and and driving a, uh, a super modified right and and so it, you know right away I mean we we hit it off and clicked and became friends but also I knew that Andy was a really s- smart you know and, and talented person as far as working on the cars and the engineering side of it so you, you like to surround yourself with the best people you could and and you know Andy definitely played a big role now that all went away because then he went to North Carolina to pursue NASCAR and and I hadn't gone to North Carolina at that point it was maybe a year or two later when I got an opportunity and then we reconnected because I you know this is the first I'm moving out of the house for the first time never lived out on my own and don't know Charlotte or in that area and who do I go to that does Andy Graves right and next thing I know we're we're roommates (laughs) And we go from this little small apartment, uh, you know, in, in, in Charlotte to a pretty nice house, added another friend of ours, Bob Lutz, and, and became roommates. The three of us, we had a pretty darn good time. And at that time, uh, Andy was working for Hendrick Motorsports, and, and I was working for Bill Davis. And, of course, I think most people know the rest of that story. The rest yeah. is history. He came home one day and asked about my contract with Ford or, or Bill and said that, Jimmy Johnson, the the Jimmy Johnson that used to work for Hendrick Motorsports, not the driver uh, that was running Hendrick Motorsports, and said, you know, that he wanted to sit down with me, and so did Rick Hendrick. Andy told it in a way that he, he said he had trouble convincing you. I think he said he had to actually call John Bickford to, like, convince you, no, this is real. <laughs> this is really Rick Hendrick wants to talk to you about maybe driving one of his cars. Yeah, I was in, in awe of that. I mean, I was having a great year. I was also really enjoying working for, for Bill Davis. Ford had you know, given me uh, a, an opportunity, and so I was a little bit torn at that time that I didn't want to... Uh, I, I, I've always felt like you know, loyalty is a big part of, of, of who I am and, and part of what my parents taught me with racing. And I, I didn't want to, um, you know, to ruin that. But at the same time, when it's 
an opportunity like that to go cup racing and it's with Rick Hendrick. I mean, I had had a, I had a couple offers, one with Cale Yarborough, um, that, uh, you know, his team was at that time was really not, not one of the top teams. And so I sort of got talked out of that. I, even I tested for him, uh, but I, I didn't end up going that route. And, you know, but, but there was no real offers on the table. Yes. Bill Davis was talking about going cup racing and wanted to go cup racing, but the, the, the reality of that was seemed very far-fetched, even though he did end up going cup racing mm-hmm. in 93, but it certainly wasn't at the same level of effort that was what happened you know, at Rick Hendrick mm-hmm. and Hendrick Motorsports. Right, and when you had that first meeting with Rick Hendrick, actually Rick was talking about this after Alex Bowman won the poll here this past Sunday. He said, when I met Gordon, he had a briefcase with a stock car magazine and a Game Boy in it. That's about right. He, he may have missed the open wheel magazine that was also in there. Okay. So you do remember it. I, I guess my question is, why the briefcase? Are you just trying to look professional? Or? I mean, where else am I supposed to put my Game Boy in my magazine? Um, I did, you know, I, I, I did want to look professional. Um, I guess I needed more than the briefcase, looking back on it. Um, yeah, I... Yeah, that, that somebody told me, probably my dad or somebody told me, you know, you really need to get a, a briefcase to, to look look the part. So yeah, he forgot to tell me all the other pieces, like maybe the suit and the tie <laughs> and uh, shaving the mustache and, and others on the list. Do you remember anything else about that meeting? I mean, was it with Rick? Yeah. Was it fairly short? Was it, hey, I want you to drive for me. OK, where do I sign? Well, I remember. So it wasn't at Hendrick Motorsports. It was over the Hendrick Automotive Group offices which is where rick's office was and has been for many many years and and he has a, an entrance where you can come in the side and i just remember parking there walking in and being pretty nervous and intimidated by all of that and and he couldn't have been nicer he was just the coolest nicest guy and and that certainly helped the decision mm-hmm. you know I, I i honestly was torn because i built quite a bond with bill davis and gail davis and and that team and when I sat down with Rick, uh, besides Ray Everham telling me what, a, what incredible resources were there, and the sky was sort of the limit on what you could build mm-hmm. as far as the race team and race car was concerned, and then the other was backing it up with Rick Hendrick and how genuine and how nice, down-to-earth, uh, humble, and, and, and just just an awesome, awesome guy. And, and when you when you look at that, it was like, I mean, I left there going, yeah, I, I cannot say no to this. Yeah, it felt right from the outset. Obviously, that started a, a relationship that's lasted now a quarter century. You're still involved at Hendrick. What's the future hold? How are you involved with Hendrick Motorsports these days? Yeah, it, it's a balancing act. You know, I've, I've, it's it's really interesting. I, I kind of think about this every once in a while, about the different uh, meetings and, and groups that I, I've been a part of from, you know, team owner council to um you know the i don't even know what we're calling the group that that was involved last year with the the stages, the stages. and the format i guess format group um i've been in some scheduling meetings and i used to be in the driver council and now i'm not in that anymore but um you also being part of tv and in the broadcasting side so it's fascinating amount of knowledge that i've been able to gain about the sport from from the business side of it and then bringing what i what i you know, had the experience I had behind the wheel. Um, you know, I'm 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 loving that I'm still able to be a part of the sport in the level that I am, and and 
talk about it, share my experiences, and, and maybe even you know try to benefit the you know whether it be Hendrick Motorsports or whether it be Fox or, or you know with NASCAR and, and th- that came from all the years of experience being part of it. So with Hendrick, you know it's a balancing act because when when January comes around, my my attention and focus is really sure. primarily on Fox and, and the broadcast. It's going to go through June and pretty much every weekend. But in between that, you know I'm I'm doing all that I can, whether it be on the marketing side, the PR side, the competition side, uh, with, with Hendrick to you know, give give my input and, and and thoughts and so usually once june after june is up and I, I take a little time off then i'm i'm you know really heavy into a lot of those those meetings and decisions working with marshall carlson and now jeff andrews and and pat perkins in any way that i i, I really can can assist and help and a lot of it is trying to take rick's done this for so long mm-hmm. he's been so involved and he still likes to be involved but i think he'd like to take a, a you know a step back at times and and he's earned and deserved that and enjoy life and so if i can take a little bit of pressure off of him whether it be interacting with the sponsors or taking a, a, a specific meeting then you know then I'm, I'm 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 there to do it as you said you've touched all sides of the industry you you understand it and have a perspective that's unique when dale jarrett did this podcast last year he talked about how when he went into the broadcast booth the first time transition from driving he called a lot of drivers and kind of talked through with them hey my relationship's going to be a little bit different now that i'm, I don't <laughs> I'm on this side you're probably going to hear me say some things i don't agree with it's not personal it's my job did you do any of that when well when first of all it? i'm not surprised that dale jarrett do that because that's the kind of class act that right. he was as a race car driver and, and now uh being being a broadcaster i don't know if i had a strong enough relationship with drivers <laughs> while i was racing against them to need to do that um you know i i in some ways purposefully now it's a little bit different with jimmy johnson and myself you know we became friends then he became my teammate and and we you know we're pretty tight and 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 that's a a relationship you know friendship that i never had with anybody else Mm -hmm. uh in in racing and and so that one i may have had that conversation a little bit with jimmy but other than that (laughs) yeah i i I didn't you know i i i I didn't think that i had to to have that uh i'm gonna be as open and as on now i've had some conversations since then because because I've, I've said some things <laughs> so I've had to explain myself a couple of times and and yeah. and so that's um, yeah I mean I I, I I hope that if anybody listens to, to the broadcast and listens to my point of view that they realize that I'm doing my absolute best to call it the way that I see it and try to give people the benefit of the doubt uh, but also uh, be as non-biased as possible and, and that that becomes a challenge at times too because of my relationship with sure. Hendrick Motorsports uh, and the years that I drove there but I've also come to realize that everybody has a bias sure. to some degree yeah yeah it's inherent and I guess for you then like you said unbiased January to June but then as we saw last year Dover with Ryan Newman you're in a different spot from July to November right. in, in, in the NASCAR world. Yeah, we don't need to get into Ryan. That that that's a bit of a crossover from <laughs> driving to, uh, to 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 my equity ownership <laughs> to all of the, the of the above. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it, it is a, a balancing act because it is so so. 
this January, I, I went into a few meetings, and and I and I know when January comes around, the crew chiefs and the engineers look at me slightly different, <laughs> you know, they, because they're sitting there going, okay, because I'll, I'll I'll go in it just talking about the race team and the season, and you know, try to not I'm not trying to pull anything out for TV, mm-hmm. but I, I I can't help but think in the back of their mind they're going, well, is he going to retain this and and accidentally say something on tv <laughs> that we don't want them to say right we can't trust these drivers yeah. but but also at the same time that is not the job if you ask me that's mm-hmm. not the, the 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 job is in the broadcast booth is all about uh what is something that's not the obvious of what the skill level of the driver the skill level of the crew chief the pit crew um you know the, what the car is doing what the feedback it has nothing to do with Okay, real you know, technical. What's it? What's it? Yeah, mm-hmm. I actually, I started out trying to to get more on the technical side because I do like that mm-hmm. as a driver. That that's a big part of what you do as a driver, but sometimes that gets lost in, in the broadcast real quick mm-hmm. uh, because it get, can get too much. I think mm-hmm. there's just the right amount, and all I want to do is be knowledgeable about it with Larry McReynolds and DW and, and Mike Joy and our pit reporters, just so that if we do get on the subject. We're at least giving something that, that has some, some substance and facts and knowledge behind it, not, hey, let's reveal something that, that is a top-secret thing. Right. It's about personalities and storylines for the most part. So we're here at Daytona, and I know that Lewis Hamilton is a friend of yours. You went to – were you in Mexico City when he clinched the championship yes. last year? Okay. Yeah. So I, he talked last year about wanting to run the 500. <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts? I think on that'd that? be amazing. I think it would be great. Uh, Steve O'Donnell said it on the podcast last year as well that he would love to have Lewis Hamilton here. You, you, you I, putting I, odds on that, or I think, oh, very, yeah. very slim, I would say. But, <laughs> Darn. but well, so I think we all see what having a Fernando Alonso go to Indy or come here for the twenty-four. That how great that is. We've seen in the past IndyCar drivers coming over to NASCAR, and and I think it's a good. I think it's a great storyline, and, and I think it, it's also an eye-opener for open-wheel drivers to get behind the wheel of a stock car because it's a lot different, you know, no different than Kurt Busch going into an Indy car, you know, and I, even though he did a great job, uh, that experience is just mind-boggling how much different it is. So I chuckle when you say it because I think that, that you know, first trying to get a quality car and team together that's not a charter and and give lewis a great opportunity to to be competitive um would be number one challenge hendrick can't run a fifth car right is pretty much it yeah Yeah. and so that that's the first kind of check against it and and then i also think you know there's no testing now you know there Mm -hmm. i mean if lewis could go and and test especially at Daytona, get into a draft and understand the dynamics of that. There's no doubt he's incredibly talented and could do the job with the right amount of, of um, preparation. But there's so little preparation these days for, for any races, especially Daytona. Have you talked to him about it at all, or has he brought it up now? Um, I'm trying to think. I think I briefly talked to him about it, and he just showed, showed interest and, and excitement. Um, I don't know if it was necessarily for Daytona. It was just... He'd like to drive a car, yeah. And and I'd like to see him drive, you know, a, a, a car. I, I, well, he did. He did drive Tony's car right. at Watkins Glen, but it was wet. And and I'd like to see him do it on an oval. I, yeah. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, I think so too. 
So the overwhelming narrative this year, Jeff, obviously is the young crop of drivers. When you look at it, obviously there's William Byron because he's in your, essentially your number and your yeah. uh, your paint scheme. Is there anybody else who reminds you of you among this young crop? So, well, how far back are we going? Are we talking about, <laughs> you know, drivers just coming in this year, last year? Yeah, the, because, because the whole Alex Bowman thing is an interesting one because he actually has 81 starts. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, that's you know, he, point. He, he's considered, right. some people think he's a rookie, which he's not, um, but he's kind of being thrown into the young crop of drivers coming in this year, but yet he's been in the yeah. sport before. So uh, that's why I ask, or yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. is Larson in that group? Is, I think we could put, I, I'd is, say is last, Austin Dillon in that group? Maybe last Ty four Dillon? years. Yeah, maybe okay. since 14. So yeah, I guess there's probably like a dozen guys who yeah. are like 27 and younger. Right well, now. the only thing you know for me is is an open wheel background like Tony had, like Newman had. Uh, you know, that's what I had, and, and of course that's Larson. I, I I I don't feel like I was as talented as him or as exciting to watch as him, but I do like I like what he what he's bringing. Um, I think that Chase Elliott is going to really. I think he's going to come to life this year. I think they're just so close. A lot of people don't. They forget that he finished fifth in points mm-hmm. last year. I mean that, and and you know, had had the incident at Martinsville and, and you know still finished fifth in points. So I think that says a lot there. But I'm so anxious to, to watch you know what what's going to happen with some of these young guys. I think Blaney did a great job last year winning with with. Wood Brothers. Now I see that him being tied even closer to Brad and to Joey. That that I think he's really capable of, of being a big star. Uh, William is so young; he's been on such a fast path that it, it's just mind-boggling. I, you think about it: the first time he was behind the wheel of a car, he was 14. He just turned 20, mm-hmm. and he's in the Cup Series. I, I've never seen anybody come through, you know, the, the series or, or on a path and get here that quickly that tells you how talented he is but it also makes you wonder you know how much experience is he going to have to gain rapidly so I think the first half of the year is going to be a a, a tough challenging one for him and I just go back to myself you know I I, not running 500 mile races I think it's a little bit different for me because I had been racing so many open wheel sprint races that you know he's at least driven uh you know, bigger, heavier cars for the last few years, but but I think he's going to be fun to watch. Um, I think you know Suarez. I'm I'm anxious to see everything. You look at what Daniel's done. The, his first year is maybe not so, so spectacular, but he must be a very uh, astute learner because year two, yeah, he 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 just takes off, yeah, and and he's with a great team. Uh, Eric Jones, I think, is an incredibly talented driver. That uh, I think this is going to be a fun year to watch him. So you feel like all of these guys, everybody talks about when you burst on the scene in 93, 94, and you feel like these guys are kind of like at your equal when you came in to NASCAR? I mean, or, or, or above. I mean, you know, I, I think we have – this is the thing, right? When you have Dale Jr. step away and Tony Stewart and Carl Edwards and me and Matt Kenseth, that not saying Matt stepped away forever, um, but – what does that do when you have that that level of drivers uh, of course we focus on oh no what are we going to do with these these superstars that had these built-in fan bases for so many years yeah that's a concern but i've seen where there are a lot of fans out there that love the sport and are looking for who that next driver they can pull for to become that next uh you know that that one that they pull for for the next 15 20 years so that's the good news 
But the other side of that is now it opens up not just rides. You look at Matt Benedetto, even look at Alex Bowman and some of these young guys over the last, say, six, eight years, they have not gotten the opportunity to get behind the wheel of a really good race car and good race team. And so they might be incredibly talented, but we don't know it until they get in the high-quality equipment. This year, especially, I think, when you add all these, these names to it, you're talking about, you know, one of the best teams out there, the 88, one of the best teams out there, the 24. If you throw Chase Elliott in there as well, Eric Jones, Blaney. I mean, the list just goes on and on, Swords of how good their race cars and race teams are to then be able to show you how talented that they really are. Right. And I think that's what's exciting. It's the best race you ever drove. Um, the quarter midget race, 1981 in Baylands, California. No was kidding. A, yeah, no, I swear. It was, it was almost a perfect race. It reminded me of the midget race, uh, the Belleville Nationals that, that I won, and I think that was 1990 or 91. Um, it was so similar because I lapped the entire field up to second place, and I just rode on the bumper. Sec- I knew that was second place, and I just rode on their bumper until the checkered flag flew. And, and I don't know if it gets much better than, than that. I mean, I, I've had some great races in NASCAR, don't get me wrong, but... <laughs> Um, when you lap all the way up to second place <laughs> and you're just all you have to do is watch them until they fly, throw the checker to, uh, that, that's about as perfect so you, as it gets you may have peaked at 9 or 10 years old yeah. is what you're telling me <laughs> Okay. Um. you know when, when you have 800 plus starts in, in NASCAR you tend to they tend to run together and, and yeah. you know I was yeah. so fortunate to win 93 times but you know in, in a long race like a NASCAR race you make a lot of mistakes throughout a race. There's there's no such thing as a perfect race. I mean, 1998, I, I would say, was as close to a perfect season as you can with 13 wins in the championship, but there were a heck of a lot more in 13 races the last time I checked in that schedule. So, um, you know, we, we lost a lot more than we won that year. Yeah, but you guys finished second. and I mean, you won 13 times, and I don't know what it says, but I bet you finished first or second half at least half the season it was a crazy yeah. absolutely well, I, look, I look at the stats on that one because i look at stats more these days um because <laughs> you allow yourself to yeah well it, not just that it's because it's part of my job you yeah. know a part part of my job is is gathering stats and figuring out how to how to make them useful or, or interesting and tie them to what's happening currently and so i i when i do that i can't help but come across some of, of, of these seasons and years when you're comparing drivers especially a seven-time champion jimmy johnson uh, to go back to say a 19 you know 98 season and and i look back at it and i just go wow yeah that was getting it done right there yeah last one you go back to being a nine or ten year old and having that great quarter midget race in 1981 i saw recently that leo made some laps in a quarter midget. i know ella did a, a mm-hmm. few years ago but i Lately, I've been seeing more gymnastics. Any yeah. any future on the racing side for the, the Gordon kids these I, days? I think you're going to see Leo do some racing. You know, Ella, she's the adventurous one in, in our family, I will say. <laughs> she will try anything. Yeah. Um, and she tried racing, and, and she did great at it. But as soon as she got out there with other cars, uh, when we were to get her license, you have to line up with other cars, and they bump you, you know, uh, to, to, to do the lineup and the restarts and as soon as she felt that she goes yeah I'm good I don't I don't need to do this anymore so she didn't want to race after that but Leo has taken more of a push to, to get him behind the wheel but so we haven't been trying to push him and then one day he just said 
when am I going to go back to the racetrack? And I said, oh, you're ready to get in there. So we've been waiting. We've been waiting for that moment, and, and there it was. And, and so he's done some practicing. Unfortunately, the weather over the winter was, was tough, and we couldn't get his license. We wanted to come down here and race at Daytona. I love that they had quarter midgets here in the infield at Daytona this past weekend, uh, but it just didn't work out. So once we get his license, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get him out there and do, do some races and, and see how it goes from there. And then, yeah, Ella's she's quite a little competitor she uh you know she does gymnastics now won her first competition um realized on their second competition that it's not quite that easy <laughs> and even though she scored um she she got a gold on the bars she uh she she didn't win the overall but she yeah she's man watching her flip and spin and do all the things that she's doing is really cool to watch a little bit of competitive spirit runs definitely in the family I definitely think. All right, well, we'll look forward to watching me perhaps add that role to broadcaster, team consultant, and now racing dad. <laughs> Keep an eye on that in the future. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll leave you with this. What I always say, and, and, and my stepdad just walked up, so I think it, it, it's a great way for this to end. We, we laugh and joke now all about that uh, one degree of separation <laughs> of how important that is to be a, a race car driver's uh, dad because... I don't think I would have never gotten behind the wheel of a sprint car at 13 and a half years old if it weren't for my stepdad. As a parent, I don't know how I could ever put my son or daughter <laughs> behind the wheel of a sprint car at 13, but I couldn't be more thankful that he did. Yeah. And I think because he was my stepdad, we had a team and how we went about things, how we argued, how, how we motivated one another, and how we did this you know, together that uh, I don't I don't know if you can do that to yeah. that level any other way and or at least that's not the way it, it wouldn't have gone that way for me had it been any different all right could be something to look forward to really <laughs> appreciate your time yeah Jeff. thanks Nate thanks for doing this appreciate it our thanks again to Jeff Gordon for sitting down for the podcast I've said and written this many times before he is the consummate professional when it comes to being accommodating with the media he set the standard for more than 20 years in cup for dealing with us when he was heavily in demand as a four-time champion and a NASCAR legend. But even beyond all that, he's just a great interview. And that's also why he was so sought after by reporters. He always gives candid, insightful, and honest replies, and that is much appreciated. So thanks to Jeff. Thanks as well to Megan Engelhart of Fox Sports PR and John Edwards, who is the longtime publicist for Jeff Gordon. They are two more pros who always make life easier for the media. A reminder that NASCAR America returned this week for the 2018 season. 5 p.m. weekdays on NBCSN, you'll find NASCAR America. Steve Wittart, Jeff Burton, Marty Snyder, and Parker Kligerman were all on this week. Chris Devota, Kyle Petty, and Dale Jarrett return next week. And in addition to the old gang getting back together, NASCAR America also incorporate chunks of Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s weekly podcast with video into episodes this season on a weekly basis. Dale Jr. also will be making appearances on the show as a guest analyst as well, so stay tuned for that. Much happening on the NASCAR America front. As always, if you like what you're hearing on the NASCAR NBC podcast, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download and listen to us. Thanks so much to those of you who have done ratings and reviews already. Those really help us out. If you prefer, just tell your friends that you like what you're hearing and encourage them to subscribe as well. The NASCAR NBC podcast also is available on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, pretty much wherever you download podcasts, you can find this one. 
And if you have any feedback, please send it to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.